two, three. Today on the show, we have Duani, amazing, beautiful, uh, amazing. successful health outcome manager. Graduate of Thank Birmingham, you. graduate of uh, York, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. in economics of health, if I'm not right, if I'm not wrong. No, that's right, health economics, yeah. Oh, fantastic. So you started off as a teacher. Yes, well, sort of. I was a tutor. Uh, I wouldn't okay. say teacher, um, but I did actually consider going into teaching. Um, I started tutoring when I was about 16. It was my first job. Um, I loved working with kids. Uh, so I used to go into like um, my local um, like tutor center and teach kids um, maths and English um, from the ages of like three to maybe, maybe, maybe like 14. Um, but it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. So what, what made you want to like go into teaching at all? I really, I just really enjoyed working with kids. So I think even then it was like a real, it was a great, great first job to have as well. Like the pay wasn't too bad. It was just okay. around the corner. I thought it'd look really great on my CV. And then I started doing it and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I went to uni, I went to the University of Birmingham and I did some tutoring there as well. So I went into like, um, I worked with Birmingham Outreach Program. Um, mm -hmm. so we go into, we went into like underprivileged six forms um so okay. i had like three three young girls who were came from quite so that they were in my tutor group and i was uh, tutoring them in a level biology um and they came from quite um i don't know how to put it but they were quite reserved families so they all wanted to go to like university they all wanted to do something quite fancy at university but their parents were quite strict and they were like you know you can only go if you live at home you can only go if you stay in Birmingham and they were quite concerned that you know I don't have the grades to get into like medicine. and this was because of Asian communities that was like yeah this? They, I think they were quite strict, strict parents I think their parents were like they, they were quite um they were Muslim and very reserved um and the, yeah parents were like you're not moving away from home um, if you want to do medicine, that's fine, but only if you get into Birmingham. I think the grade requirements are quite high, but uh, Birmingham Outreach actually offered um, like a grade discount kind of thing. That if you went to like a local school and it wasn't and it was like not doing so well, and you were part of this outreach program, they would lower the grade requirements for them. Um, so I helped them with their applications, and one of them got into medicine, and the other one got into dentistry. Sorry to interrupt really you. Good. It just so. So people are aware, your current profession is in out... Let me just correct myself because I think I'm kind of mistaken, but... Your current profession is in health outcome manager, yes. right? Not in teaching, because no. I assume that most people who listen so far <laughs> yeah, no, are like, I oh, she's a teacher. No, I'm not a teacher. I, this is just something that I used to do. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll get into it in the future as well. I don't know. I, I still quite like mentoring. Okay. Um, so but, I think it's. I, I'd be interested to do you, it. You did that very young. I mean, you were what, sixteen? Well, time? I did. I did the like. I worked with the younger kids when I was sixteen, hmm. um, and then I worked with. So I was about twenty, nineteen, twenty, when I worked with the A level hmm. kids, helping them get into uni and stuff. So I helped them put together. They're like UCAS statements. Help them study for the test. Like for medicine, you have to do like the the specific test for it. So I helped them study for that. Um, and help them like prep for the interview and stuff. And how did that make you feel? It, it made me feel really good, especially because like when I first met them at the beginning of the year, they were like, yeah, I'm never getting in. And then they were like, I was like, no, you know, there are ways to get in. They don't just give up. 
They're but like, what's really interesting about this is because at the time you were 16, it wasn't like you were, you were 20. Or sorry, at the time you were 20. Yeah. And you were helping kids that were, what, four years younger than yeah. you. So it's not like you, you were out and about and you're 40 and you've experienced life and you wanted yeah. to give back to the community, which is really fascinating because I don't think a lot of people in their 20s actually go and be that pro- proactive yeah, in the I community. I think it's just because. I think at that age, if anything, that they can relate to you more as well. Like if the force year old came and told me what to do with my life, I think they're just like out of touch a little bit because it's so long ago. Things have changed. You know, you do learn a lot. Like if I went back, I probably wouldn't relate to them as much. And I would find it, you know, there would be that little gap. But because I'd been through the process so recently, I think it just came a lot more naturally. And I was able to put it in ways that I think they understood as well. Um and yeah, I think I think it was a really valuable experience. I also worked at like summer camps every year as well. So again, that was very similar as well. It was like, that was more like groups of kids though. Um, but again, the first time I did that, I was 19 and the oh, kids wow. were like 16, 17. So there was only like, some of them were taller than I was. Um, and so, you know, to, to be 19 and like, I had 15, 16 to 17 year olds and training them for like four weeks was, was very intense, but it was challenging. And I cried some of the days that I did it because I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, they don't respect me. (laughs) Where where did this come from? From your upbringing, from your parents? Something inherently pulled you to do it? No, I just really like the idea of, like, inspiring the... So, So, again, when I did it, I did it in very like I did it in Milton Keynes and the kids were like one of them didn't get any GCSEs you know like they weren't great kids to begin with some of them were some of them were great but as a whole like the mixture and like the environment they were brought up with weren't great but I think you know you you mean they were not academically really gifted some of them were some of them weren't but I think Mm. just like in terms of like I wouldn't say disadvantaged but like they didn't come from like the posh schools or anything they were just very like average day-to-day some of them were really really bad kids like some one of them stole money one of them I mean that's you know you're 16 what do you know you don't know what right wrong is yes you do stealing money from a charity pot is inherently wrong no you don't know it depends on the environment you're in you know from a charity pot absolutely depends on you know what kind of environment you're from no I definitely think that's like in, yes, there's shades of grey, but in this case, it was very no, black and white. I mean, <laughs> see, I have an uncle who, who said, who, who you'd, you'd, he would tell you, okay, so what is the probability of a flip of coin and it becomes head? And then flip it again, it becomes head again. What's the probability? 50-50, that they're, they're not related. He said, for you, it's 50-50. For me, it's whatever the hell I wanted to <laughs> land on. And <laughs> see, that's, there's a difference of attitude right there. And uh, that's what I think with a lot of these kids, because they don't see it as right or wrong, because they just see it. Listen, either it's either I take it or it's not, or I don't get it. Mm. And I, I think that's what it boils down to. They only see it as a means of survival than rather a means of anything else, yeah. which is quite weird to say talking about being in the I- UK. Yeah, I think like him specifically, like this kid I remember, like, like I said, I did it for like three or four years. So every summer I'd have a new like batch of them. So I did like lose track of all of them. But this one specifically, I think was in one of my last cohorts. Um, his name was Michael too. Hey. <laughs> um, this Michael has not give, stolen from charity yet. <laughs> the worst like thing was out. it was a charity he was raising money for. I, I mean, mean that, that makes it worse. If anything, I think he's he's actually quite ahead. I think he's he's quite ahead mentally. He's already, mm. he's already thinking like a, like a few millionaires and billionaires. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, no. You don't know what to say to that. I don't know what to say to oh, that. Come on, you're telling me that 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 a lot of these people who start these charities aren't using it for tax evasion and stuff like believe, that. I want to believe. I want to believe that they're not, um, because 
I, I don't want to believe that. And I'm going to, you can say that it's rose colored glasses and I'm looking at it very innocently and I will take that. But no, I, I'm going to go with the not stealing money. I love how you know that expression. <laughs> Do you know the French expression of that? No. I forgot it as well. <laughs> but it actually comes from, it comes from a novel in, uh, that was from a French author. No, I don't know. I only know the rose tinted glasses one. Mm. Um, no, that expression itself comes from a ah. French author. I didn't know that. Well, you learned something new. Well, there you go. So now you then also volunteered at a British British Heart Foundation. Oh, yeah. I did that for like a couple weeks. It wasn't that fun. I thought it would look good on my resume and I thought it would be like, my parents thought it would be a good like, get yeah, out, yeah, learn yeah. stuff. No one's going to pay you because you're underage. Like, But it'll be nice to just get you out there kind of thing. But I think they're just, they're quite like experience the world of UCL my brother's what 16 and this summer they were like you're not sitting at home doing nothing like go volunteer somewhere so he they like he wants nothing to do with the pharmacy um but they made him go volunteer at like a farm like a local pharmacy for like a week Why don't and just it was make good him be like a twitch streamer or something like that that's where all the future income is coming from anyway yeah but it's just like what he's comfortable doing and and sure. what he's not and I don't think sure. that's really something that he'd be interested in so they're like you know within your comfort zone but like slightly pushing it mm. we just want you to kind of have an interact he's very like I'd say if I'm like outgoing and I'd, I'd love speaking to new people and I love being like pushed outside my comfort zone he's like the complete opposite like he doesn't like meeting new people he doesn't like trying new things um he hates social interaction like speaking to something new like stresses him out so for him to be like okay no like I'll go it was it was really good for him like even though it was only a week like I feel like he learned a lot from that and like they were like okay now you can go set up your own bank account and then they gave him money and they were like, go deposit it in your bank account. And it's like things like that, that they're starting to like, they do it very early, I think. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's really, really interesting. And I like how your, your, your parents are really taking a proactive step. Yeah. I mean, they both work full time as well. So, you know, it's hard for them to kind of be involved oh, right, all the right. time this is as well. Easy way to get the so kids. it's also yeah, like, yeah. they don't want him to sit at home playing video games all day, which is what he would do. And that's what he's doing most well, of the like time. It's not like he can't make an income from it. No, but he doesn't. <laughs> so, well, not now. Um, but no, it was just like, you know, when my mom comes home from work and she's tired and my mom's, my, my brother's like, oh, like, what's for dinner? Whereas now it's like, we'll go work nine till seven. It wasn't nine to five. It was nine till seven. They made You're him work. You're gloating quite <laughs> a lot absolutely I loved it because he's home for six weeks and I'm while I'm working he's like haha you have work I'm like haha so do you well it's, <laughs> I don't know you're the one who's working and still living with your parents so I'm gonna defend him yeah but that's out of choice mm. yeah <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with it I, I lived out and I wouldn't want to move any further away from central you you really almost hit the nail on the head because my next question to you was how did you end up in this profession how did I end up in this profession? That's a very good question. So I kind of did, so my, my undergraduate was in natural sciences um, because I loved science, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'm gonna keep all my options open. I like science, I'll just do all of them at university. So in my first- Sensible. Yeah, so I did in my first year, I did modules in like biochemistry, in biology, microbiology. I even did like physics modules in first year as well. Cause I was like, just do everything and you can narrow it down and pick a speciality as you go. Um, and I thought, you know, doing the biology-ish modules, I'll probably end up in a lab somewhere. About two weeks in, I realized I hate working in a lab. I hate looking down a microscope. I hate measuring stuff. This is not going to be what I want to do. Um, and then by like second and third year, I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, keep going. I dropped the physics modules because I'm not very good at maths. Um, and I don't enjoy it. Like I can do it, but I really, really don't like it. Um, and then I ended up like going more like down the biochemistry route 
Um, and then it kind of got to the end of my degree and I was like, I still don't know what I want to do. And the next option was like either start working. So I started ridiculously applying to every grad scheme under the sun, not getting anywhere because I wasn't passionate about any of them. And then I got offered a teaching job um, and I actually accepted it. And I was meant to start in September. And then I actually sat down and was like, I do love mentoring and I have done all of that, but I don't think it's what I want to do long term. And I also had, I actually looked into the program I was going into and I inherently like disagreed with their morals and I was like I don't agree with what you're doing so I was like not going to do that so I called them like two months before no three months before and I dropped out of it um and then someone mentioned like health economics to me still didn't know what it was but something that interested me to it was like um so in my dissertation and stuff I learned a lot about like the BCG vaccine which is like for TB um and how it like the efficacy of it varies depending on what like kind of country you're in and that's dependent on like um well it's dependent on a lot of things but just the availability of the vaccine so, so let me roll back a little bit okay. so what is bcg first of all it's uh back uh bcg is a vaccine that you get for tuberculosis okay i don't know what the long it's like a french name sure yeah and and, and this is a vaccine that you get injected what once a year once once when you're like everyone has the vaccine like it, the little scar that you have on your left arm that's from the bcg vaccine everyone you mean in the uk yeah, yeah. i think i think most places vaccine against tb though as a child but yeah so a lot of places do vaccine against it and i think something that came up when i was writing my dissertation was how the availability of the vaccine differs and regardless of like in the uk even though it's not very common here you still like routinely get vaccinated against it whereas somewhere in like africa even though it's a lot more prevalent you don't get vaccinated against it. and i was like oh the inequality of like medicine and that's kind of what led me down health economics. And one of the modules in there was like, you know, healthcare in developing countries and stuff. And that's what I thought I'd get into. I think that's a, that's a very fascinating idea that you brought in. And that's the inequality you see in medicine. But, but I'm, I'm sure there is, there is a monetary reason for that. There's no doubt about it. Mm. But there's also... Uh, thousands of other reasons right the inequality of getting a surgeon who's slightly worse than the next one get, uh, you know going th- in to a surgeon who simply had too much to drink god forbid you know yeah there's I, I a level like of fairness more on, in like the infrastructure of the country itself sure. and its availability of medicine i think that's what i was like when i first started my masters i was like you know that's what i want to do i want to go work into like a developing country build up their like infrastructure and stuff and then i started doing the module on it and i was like i'm not sure if this is for me and then I started doing modules on like more health economics, which is more to do with like actual governmental, like for example, in the UK, how they like handle and how they basically deem a medicine worthy or not and whether it should enter the market or not. And like the decisions that come into that. And I was like, it is a really hard decision to make. Like essentially you're putting a price on someone's life. You're putting a price on someone's quality of life. Um, And you're putting like a monetary value on the quality of life per year as well. Um, and there's also there's like so many flaws with the idea. Of course, there are like essentially the, the the method that we use at the moment places the same quality, like the same monetary value, or like the same kind of unit value to someone who's like 80 and lives an extra year to if a child is like one and lives an extra year. Which, like sentimentally, you know that's not what society would deem. They'd probably be like, oh no, we'd rather give an extra year to the kid, right? But you know the system's flawed, but it's the only one we've got at the moment, then that's the system we use at the moment to kind of determine which medicines get through and not. And it's not just in the UK we use. We use this pretty much everywhere, like in every country. 
Okay, so l- let me clarify, first of all, your current position is in health outcomes manager. Yes. What is that? Okay, so when, so I work as a health outcomes manager for UK and Ireland. Um, so when we have a new drug um, and it wants to get onto the market, yes. you have to have, well, you know, it, it has to work and there are certain levels of like regulatory framework that it has to go through. Um, and I work on the UK market specifically. So I work on the drug and run the analysis um, using different like, economic models, um, different clinical method, uh, models as well, and essentially put together like an evidence portfolio to submit to the UK government to be like, this is our drug, this is what it does, these are the side effects, these are the people we've spoken to, here's, if you, and we also do something called like a budget impact model of like, this is how much it costs, this is how much you spend over the next five years on this drug, this is how much money you'd save because it's displacing all of these other things, And this is why you should say yes to the drug. And essentially we have like this big committee meeting where you have representatives of the company. So that would be myself and probably someone else. You have two representatives of the the company. And you'd also have like clinical experts. You'd have patient groups, for example, like if you're working in breast cancer, you'd have like breast cancer now. You'd have a bunch of other like expert panels sit sat there quizzing you about your drug being like why should it work is this true is this not and it can take hours and sometimes they say no in which case you know I haven't done my job right they will say no and essentially the drug will not be available on the NHS maybe it will be available privately if it's but it will not be available on the NHS and that's how I know that I would have failed my job <laughs> can you can you reapply once it's um, been failed you can you can appeal. appeal you can decision. appeal once, um, and if they still say no, you can no longer appeal. Okay, that's fascinating. So, what happens if it's the same drug, but terminology is used for a different treatment? For example, uh, Viagra then, is the most famous case of all cases. Yeah, so that's fine. That would that would in, like for example, if it was when you when I do it for a drug, it it's very specific for the line of therapy, and it's very specific for like the indication. So like the specific, I don't know, like if I'm doing it for breast cancer again, it'll be for like this certain type of breast cancer, and it will be second line of therapy. Okay. Let me explain line of therapy because I feel like you look confused right now. Uh, not so much me as people who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for example, in cancer, so I work specifically in oncology. Fantastic. Um, you have different lines of therapy. So some, if someone comes in and they had stage two breast cancer, we'll be like, okay, the first, the, the thing about cancer is it's not going to go away, right? It, it, you can't just fix it. Sometimes you can have surgery that removes it and you'll be fine. But chances are, if they've already had surgery and it comes back, you would just you're just delaying the progression you're not curing it so all the me- all the kind of medicines that we have are just delaying the delaying inevitable. the inevitable essentially well, all medicine yeah. is yeah but it's you're not you're not it's not necessarily a fix for it of so what was the original question <laughs> oh lines of therapy sorry yes. so if you have for example if someone comes in and they have i don't know stage two breast cancer will be like okay the first treatment that we give them so the first line of therapy is going to be this certain chemotherapy but chances are after a while it will stop working it's not going to work forever and once you know so first of all i think a lot of people who don't really understand how chemotherapy or cancer works will be like wait what chemotherapy stops at a certain point yeah so you would have chemotherapy for example for like six months or something and at which point you know if it's a very early cancer then that could fix it and you'll be fine but 
if it doesn't or if the cancer comes back, you will not be given the same line of, you won't be given chemotherapy or that specific chemotherapy again because it didn't work the first time, in which case we move on to a second line of therapy. And after a while that might work or it might not, in which case we move on to a different line of therapy so, and then you move on to a different, so it's called lines of therapy. So let's, for the, for the, for the uninitiated, Mm-hmm. It starts with chemotherapy. Zero. It depends if you're eligible for if you're eligible for like a removal. So if it hasn't spread anywhere and it's just like I don't know in your liver and they could just remove that certain section, then you would just have surgery. But you'd also probably have chemotherapy after, just you know. So the ideal treatment would I would assume would be surgery then. Yes, but there's different. It depends on the cancer, of course, and it depends on what's best for you. You know, sometimes the cancer it's too big, so they are like, okay, or we'll difficult give, to get to, or difficult to get to. So they are like, we're going to give you chemotherapy first, shrink it down to a size that's manageable, then we'll do surgery, take it out, and then we'll give you chemotherapy again. And okay, so that's ideally the best case scenario. There's no best case scenario. It's very dependent on the type of cancer you of have. Of course, of course, but ideally you'd want to be able to have surgery, get it removed, and done. Right? In, in a perfect world. In a perfect world, you'd want to get whatever, wherever it is taken out. Exactly. So what would be then the final stage of treatment? You, what would be the last resort then? It, it, again, it just depends. So if you've, had the, if you've had the tumor taken out, you would probably then get chemotherapy again. So, you know, just like once you've had surgery, you know, it's taken out. But just the surrounding tissue and stuff, you just want to get more chemotherapy to kill off also, any... Also, I understand that this is not your field of expertise No, no, no it's fine. It's fine. So... <laughs> you'd want to get, you'd want to get chemotherapy again to just, you know, destroy any chances of it coming back and then just monitor you for the next couple of years to see if it comes back. If it doesn't, fine, you'd live a healthy life. But that's very easy to do in your first couple of stages of cancer. So phase one, if you have stage one or stage two cancer, it's localized to one area. The minute you go into stage three and four, you can't have surgery because it's spread. You can't just take out everything, right? Or if you have blood cancer, for example, if you have any kind of leukemia, chances are that, you know, you can't. I think we all have had some form of family or friend or, or distant cousin or relative has been through cancer and I uh, I've witnessed as well people with stage four and stage three cancer and it is almost it is almost horrifying the lengths that that an individual will go through to combat it and well that's the thing so I think the thing is with chemotherapy especially is that the side effects from it are terrible they are they Remember, chemotherapy doesn't just target cancer cells, it targets all cells. It's not like targeted to specific kind of cells. So if you're getting it in a certain area, you're getting it everywhere, or like you're targeting the whole body, you're like cleansing it essentially. And it's the side effects of it are awful. So, you know, if you have only if someone is very fit and healthy, would we give chemotherapy as like this is, we're going to start off with it or something. Or like if, if they're so far gone, we wouldn't even give them that because chances are they, it, there's, there's no point. We're just going to make it worse. Can, can we at current medical science, I know this is not your expertise, mm-hmm. can we differentiate what cancers that we've picked up are potentially deadly and which ones are potentially deadly in, in 10 or 20 years? We all have abnormal uh, uh, biology, mm-hmm. growths, um, various sizes of tumors but they grow so infinitely small or slow that it's not really something that we need to worry about in even our lifetime Mm -hmm. so yes you can um so regardless of kind of so I'll, i'll do breast cancer 
again, I'll, I'll resort because back to that just because that's my kind of speciality at the moment. I know the most about it. But for example, if you have breast cancer, there's specific tumor markers, we call them. So like if you look on a cell and it exhibits like a hormone positive receptor. So if it's got certain receptors, chances are you will have a much more aggressive disease or there's certain mutations you can look for. So you can just do a little biopsy, very easy test and be like, okay, this, there's, there's a bunch of different tumor markers. You can be HER2 negative, which is, horm uh, no, not HER2, sorry, hormone receptor positive. You have hormone receptor negative. You have ER positive, which is estrogen receptor. You have progesterone receptor. You have um, ESR1. You have, I could, I could list bunches of them. They're not going to mean anything. I can see your teacher's <laughs> spirit coming out. Yeah. So uh, if you, you can test through a bunch of these different markers and what we've been able to do with like current research methods is like go if you have certain markers we can kind of map out your tumor progression we can also map out which treatments you're more or less likely to respond to we don't want to give you a treatment that has a bunch of different side effects if we know that it's not really going to work on you so these days when we market drugs they are tested on specific population so in the trial in the clinical trial we'll be like we're going to give it to a bunch of people who have this like this receptor this receptor this receptor and this receptor then we'll know which people it actually works in and then we'll be like okay it only works for people with i don't know hormone receptor positive if you if you don't have this receptor it doesn't work on you then we don't we don't give them then this drug won't be available to people that it's not going to work in so okay. it's very very specific and that's kind of where i come in it's like and, and it's not just tumor markers it's like if you have if you have risk visceral metastasis so if for example your cancer has sped, uh, spread to the brain if it's gone into the visceral system it, the tumor might not uh, the, the drug won't work on you or the, the drug might work on you we, we don't know but it just depends on you know it just depends on what kind of drug it is right okay so it's my and then we do we do like so how we look at subgroups of patients so i get the raw clinical trial data you know not analyzed by anyone let me roll you back a little bit before mm -hmm. we get on how the data is conducted mm -hmm. how does does this pill affect the cancer other than through chemotherapy we've so far understood that that cancer is treated through chemotherapy and hopefully then through surgery to remove whatever <clears throat> growth there is now you're telling me that there are also possibility of certain medicines being able to treat it. Yeah, so the recent, so chemotherapy is like the old Methodology. medicine. Yeah, exactly. It just targets them, kills them, end of story. Then you've got surgery. And then what you've got recently come out is called um, immunotherapy. So what it does, it harvests your own body's immune system to destroy the cells, or it uses, like, it, it destroys certain tumor markers on the cells to get rid of them. For example, the way um, if in breast cancer you have hormone receptor positive, it means all the cells have, they're switched on for hormone receptor. So they all have the specific marker. So if we can target that specific marker, we just eliminate all those cells, right? So is that then sim similar to how CRISPR technology works then? I don't know enough about CRISPR to answer that. Okay. I remember doing it in like a module back in like first year of uni, but since then I've not come across it. Uh, okay. So I don't want to answer that. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> um, so let me get you on to uh, something more personal to you. Okay. How does traveling around the world make you feel? Because I know you're a big traveler and you do love to go around. Um, what is it for you? 
I think it just depends. Um, I absolutely love it. I love seeing like different culture and stuff. But to me, it's like going around the world isn't just going to all like the touristy places. It's just like experiencing the different food, the different culture um, and just the views. I think it's very easy. I think when you work, you know, like a nine to five job to kind of get stuck in the routine of it. And then, you know, like, yes, you see your friends. So it's and a stuff. form of escape for you. Yeah, it is. You just kind of go somewhere new. You get to, you know, see different sites and it just kind of puts things in, put into perspective and it just gives you something to look forward to as well. Like when I go away, it's like, okay, you know, yes, work is hard, but then, you know, I get to do this and it's not so bad. Oh, it gives you a level of gratitude, I think. Ex exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, there's more to life than, you know, like when I, when I've had a long day at work and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like, you know, what if I just quit my job, et cetera, et cetera. And go traveling around the world. Yeah, exactly. Go traveling around the world. It just, it's just like, you know, life isn't so bad. I've, I've still be able to come here, enjoy this view. So I'm assuming that a lot of people don't know this. Currently, with the way your job is functioning at the moment because of COVID, you're not required so much to be on site or premise. Yes. So in theory, you could rent theory, a van. I could. I, I mean, I'm not sure I'd want to live in a van. Um, but in theory, I could just, you know, book loads of Airbnbs, God knows where, and just hire a car and just drive around all so of the Europe. So the question is, why or, don't you? That is a good question. I think, I'm not sure. Why, why don't I? Um, because I'm sure your salary covers Airbnb rent. Yeah, I'm sure it does too. So. <laughs> um, I, think it, I think it is hard. That's not the kind of life that I want to live on one hand. I think I like having a separation of like, yes, I'm working now. And then I treat like going away as like a treat or something to look forward to. I, I, I don't think it would have the same appeal if I were to be able to do it so often. I like having it as like a treat or a getaway. And then when I'm there, I don't think about work. I couldn't just quit my job and then go traveling, right? If I was there, I'd still be working. But I have so a it, feeling of how I've, 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 I've learned about you is that if you weren't working, you wouldn't be able to take the time off because your mind would be so focused on finding another work or activity. It, it is that as well. Like I, I, I like stability. I don't like not planning things. So like for me to go away, even for like a week is like, I have planned my day-to-day -day activities, like going somewhere and not having anything figured out would really, really stress me out. So like, I think I went in, like I went traveling through Europe um, a couple of years ago and I had like an itinerary and a backup itinerary if it was raining or if something was closed. I had a spreadsheet of all my flights, all my trains, everything or all, all my hotels were booked before I left everything was done to like you know I'm going to be in Munich for three days these are lists of activities I need to do this is a tour that I'm going to do everything was planned out and we and you do not live <laughs> the same lives we don't even live the same dimension no but like not having anything planned would really stress me out sometimes like, I book flights on the day yeah I know I mentioned and I was like oh I can do that <laughs> sometimes I show up in the airport and be like yeah no, what flights so I think available? there was like with the interrail uh, so I did the I did interrailing and then you could do it where you just bought like a pass for a month and you can, you know, go on any train you want and, you know, just, you could just book a reservation. And I didn't buy the pass because I actually thought about it and I was like, that's really good if you don't know how long you want to be in each city and you don't know how long you're going to be there. Like, oh, I'm going to stay here for an extra day or this and that. And I was like, I couldn't do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to book each individual train. And I obviously mi I didn't miss a single journey. I didn't. So let me ask you this. A, a year has 12 months. Mm -hmm. In theory, you could stay in one country, mm -hmm. in one city or capital for one month of the year yeah. and then move to the next country. 
and then in the next country. That way you could satisfy both things. One is that you're not so worried about not being able to do enough because you're there for an entire month. Yeah, but then I, I think it's, again, it's not why I want to do it. Like, I, I want, if I go away, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to work, for sure. I just want to experience it. So I think the way around it would be if I were to go to, like, a country for a month, for example, and then, like, do it every six months to go. So I, I would work for three weeks and then have one week off and then come back. Okay, so my question okay. was, um, what are things you wish you learned sooner? Do you mean like in a work perspective or like in a personal perspective? Both, both? whatever, whatever is. Okay, I'd say from like a work or like a study perspective, um, it really doesn't matter if you don't know what you want to do, you will figure it out and you will like stumble to where you need to be. And if you don't like it, you can change. Um, I think when I was growing up, it was always just like, you know, pick your A-levels based on what you want to do, get good GCSE results because of what you want to do. Okay, well, what do you want to do? Oh, okay, fine, do medicine. And I was convinced at one point that I was, you know, do medicine, but that's because most of my family are doctors. That's also something we should bring up. I mean, your dad is a... A, well, my a dad, psychologist. No, my dad's a pharmacist. Pharmacist. Um, my mum is also working in a pharmacy at the moment, but like. But she's most, not trained in uh, chemistry or in biology. No, she has a degree in economics. <laughs> okay, well, it makes sense if you're running a business. <laughs> yeah, um, and, um, but yeah, like all of most of my family are doctors. Like it wasn't a question of like, it, whenever I went to like family parties and stuff, it isn't like. It was pharmacy or it's doctor. Not, it's, 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 no, it was either pharm, uh, pharmacy or lawyer. Those are the two options. Like, there was no other option. Oh, really? And it was more, and I was like, lawyer stuff wasn't really my thing. So Where were they worried like, about being sued for malpractice or the pharmacy? <laughs> no, because a lot of them have their own clinics and stuff as well. So, like, one of them's, like, the head of dermatology at St. Guy's and Thomas Hospital. One of them is, like, again, they're all just doctors. And, again, like, in the U.S. as well, like, they're all doctors. Um, so it was at, at family parties. My uncle was always like, "Oh, so you doing medicine yet?" Yeah. I was like, "No." Oh, so when are you doing medicine? Even after my undergraduate degree, they were like, "When are you doing medicine?" And I was like, "I'm, I'm not. You know, I've chosen not to do it." And so they were like, "Oh, you're studying law." <laughs> well, it was more like, "Oh, really? Like, what are you doing then?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm doing health economics." They're like, "What's that?" <laughs> Did they understand that as home economics? And like, they're like, "Oh, yeah." good 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 and I'm like you have no idea and you don't think it's good <laughs> but I don't think I owe it to you to explain so it's fine yeah but people also try to be positive even when they don't understand something yeah not my family no I'm sure now they're a lot better at it now I think um now that everyone's a bit older and stuff um well how much of you, how much of what you say did you grow up in a typical Asian household very much so you think so yeah well I don't know. Well, I you're not getting married like, to like one of your cousins. You're not, <laughs> they didn't tell you go back home and, and well, go back home, go back to I the think, motherland. Although like my parents, like my mom is quite traditional and stuff. Um, I think I've got very lucky with like, they've always been very, they've like been more open as times have gone on. So they've been very adaptable. Like I've had a lot of friends when I was growing up who did come from like very traditional Indian parents. And, and they were like sent back to India or Pakistan. Well, well, one of them was sent to India because she like was so misbehaving or something. They were like boarding school, India, off Done. you go. Yeah, and that was always what I got threatened with. The minute I misbehaved, my mum was like, misbehave for more time. I'm threatening to send you to boarding school in India. Um, it was only when I got older that, you know, realised that she would actually never do it. But 
I mean, That's I don't, think, what I I don't think India is that much different uh, than the UK in terms of whether or not you can do your activities. I think you'd have to be more like safe. Yeah, especially but it was more like you'd be out of my hands, like you'd be in a boarding school there. And yeah. as as like as a child, I used to hate going to India. It was like the worst kind of punishment going there. It's like I don't want to go. Please don't make me go. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But okay. So because I, I knew a guy in, in from, from Pakistan, his family were very, very, I don't know what the right word is, authentic okay. Pakistan, let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he came to, to, to A-levels and he had like a Pakistani accent, but he's never been to Pakistan. So I, I, oh. I don't even know how that works. He was telling you a story that one of his cousins came out to his dad saying he was gay. And so his dad flew him back to Pakistan and then killed him. <gasps> So, <laughs> is that a true story? <laughs> That's what he said. He said, "Trust me, bro," and he was very religious. So. Oh gosh, um, not sure what to say. You've been to you've you lived in Birmingham, so yeah. So, I'm, but to be honest, like the part of Birmingham that I lived in, you wouldn't know. It's it's not like the Birmingham that everyone pictures. Um, not the boring. No, so. Birmingham, the way it's centred is you've got like the city centre and that's where like Aston University is. And that's where Birmingham City University is. But where like the University of Birmingham is, it's like, it's more like near Edgbaston, which is like the fancy bits. Um, and then it's got its own, like everything's campus space. So our campus was very, very pretty, like red brick walls, like very, like we've got the old clock tower and stuff. It's very, very pretty and all the student accommodation and stuff was near there so like the town that I lived in was there was no real locals it's just a student town like you've got like all these um, like roads that run parallel to each other every single one of them is student housing Um, so you don't actually come across any native Birmingham people ever and all the clubs we ever went to were student clubs right so the only time you'd come into contact with anyone like from Birmingham is in the bullring or on the train. Well, there's what's that one road called where all the clubs are on? Broad Street. Broad Street. There is, come on, there is a yes, lot of brummies. it depends. Yeah, but only if you go, it depends where you go, right? Well, like on a Saturday you, or Friday. Yeah, but if you go to the student, so on a Student Saturday, night is a, stu- Thursday is a student night. It depends. So like Thursdays was like snobs, which is student night. Tuesdays was stupid Tuesdays. Um, Wednesday, sports night. Um, and Saturday was always at the university itself. It was a student night. So really... And on a Thursday, only students were allowed into the clubs. So if you weren't a student, you couldn't get in. So there was no chance of... Only on if you went to, like, a Saturday, you went to someone other than the student night, would you mm. actually bump into someone non-student, right? So, no. And it didn't happen very often. Me and you had very different experiences of Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like. The only experiences that you weren't... like So, like, as a University of Birmingham student... Just I mean, like I said, same. we had very different experience in Birmingham. I, on my first, first three days, first second day or first day there, I saw a, a, a black guy with like these like like not knuckle busters, but these gloves that oh that like cover your knuckles, like yeah, they're like yeah. plastic almost. And he was just going to town on this girl, just wham, oh wham, my God. wham, and I run up and I pulled him off, and then I tried to help that girl up, and she pushed me away, and then ran after him, said, "Honey, don't leave me," something like that, and I just looked around and I was like, "Hmm, this is Birmingham, eh?" Yes. <laughs> that was in the bullring, literally in the bullring, oh and uh, I think like on my third or fourth week, that that was the first time I got threatened, first time I got threatened, it, with a knife in the UK. Uh, and that was just outside um, my dormitory. 
So I was just walking oh. outside to get some cigarettes and a guy Yeah, we had very different experiences of Birmingham. The only thing that... And that was the first time in there. The first time... The only thing that's happened is, like, of note is, like, I think my friend Charlie and I, we went to we went to the Snob, so the, the nightclub in Birmingham, and um, we were in the girls' toilet and we were trying to get out and this, like, couple were blocking the door and we were like, could you... And Charlie was in front of me because it was quite narrow and we were like, could you please move? And they just continued, like, making out or whatever and she was like, look, we need to... We're trying to get back out, like, could you please move? We tried to, like, squeeze around but there wasn't enough space. Um... And she kind of just tapped, like, the guy, I think the guy was closer. She was, like, she tapped him on the shoulder. was like, could you please move? He, he turned around you. and um, pu- uh, punched her in the face. Yep, that sounds about right. That's permanent and then for you. turned around and continued to make out with the guy. And the girl saw this and just continued as if nothing had happened. That's permanent. And, like, Charlie was there with, like, a bleeding nose and everything. And I was like, oh, my God. And we went to security and they were like, oh, it was in a, it was in a, like, can we, can we at least, like, watch the recording and get him, like, thrown out? Or, like, you know, they were like, they watched it out. Um, He's they like, watched to be it fair, back. you touched it. <laughs> yeah, they, they watched it back and they were like, oh, we can't really see his face. When the pictures come out tomorrow, like, you know, they, they take, like, the club photos. Like, if you see him, let us know. We'll get, we'll, we'll ban him from coming in. So Charlie had to sit there the next day, like, going through all the pictures and she just never found him again. And it was like absolutely like terrible but yeah that's Birmingham that's Birmingham for you so what so what is things that you wished you learned earlier um so yeah sorry I'll go back to that one it was the degree um what you want to do don't worry too much about it don't have a focus on like you know oh pick these A-levels because they're going to get me into this course um and this course because I want to get this job in the future if you have a plan great go with it but if you don't just pick what you enjoy for now it something will come along like you know brilliant i think that's fantastic yeah. advice. i think that's absolutely positive advice. what are things that you beat yourself up till this day it can be something that happened like 10 years ago something that happened a week ago we'll carry something with us that we don't let go of i think it, i'd say like trust your gut okay. of like if something doesn't feel right and if you're compromising on something just it probably isn't right and like don't hold on to it just because if it's like, I'm not gonna make you feel uncomfortable no, trying no, no. to explain no, too much no 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 I just probably be like whether it's like in a job whether it's in a relationship or something like just trust your gut like if it's making you unhappy don't for whatever reasons you're still in it like whether it's like a, whether it's in a job um and you're like you know no don't worry like I'll stay in it for another year or like maybe I'll make it work if you're really unhappy just leave and you'll figure something else out even if you've been in it for five years even if it will take you like a year to recover from it sunk cost leave it move on you'll be fine how does someone know in your opinion whether it is time to leave or not because some people just say you know show the other cheek they put through with it Mm -hmm. if there is well there's there's a couple of reasons like but number one I'd say is if you feel undervalued, if you kind of go, you know what, if I leave, no one's going to miss me, that'd be one. Number two, I'd probably say if you feel like there's nothing else that's left to learn or it will take too long to learn something. So like, you know, I was in my old job and yes, I really enjoyed it at at the beginning because I felt like I was learning so much, but it got to a point where I felt like they promised me so much. They're like, you do this kind of project, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this. And it kind of got to like two... A year and I was like well I'm doing the same thing 
I did a year ago. I, I, I'm not doing anything else. I was like, no, no, you know, I'll give it a chance. I should have left at that one year mark. I shouldn't have stayed because in the next year, I still didn't learn anything. I was just doing the same thing again and again so with the promise of a promotion, with the promise of, oh, no, we're going to get these new projects. We're going to do all of this. But essentially, I like wasted a year making myself unhappy mm-hmm. when... I could have left a long time ago and I probably would have been like that one year ahead somewhere else. But so if I you kind could, of... if you could go back in time, would you have been in that old job and just qu- and just quicker gone out? Or would you have said, listen, if, if you want me to stay here for an additional year and I'm suffering, I want a guarantee that I'm going to get this promotion in 12 months? Um, no, I don't think I would have done that. One, because it wasn't that kind of company. Like, I couldn't have asked for a promotion. And when I was eligible for it, they, you know, they... I mean, you can always ask. Even if a position doesn't exist, they can make one. It's not like it's set in stone. But I just don't think... there, There was a lot of other things. Yeah, there was a lot of other things wrong. But I don't think that I really would have got to where I wanted. They might have given me, like, an inch to like pacify me but not enough that it would have been worth my staying because I did get a promotion I got one in January but it wasn't enough even when I got it I was like this is what I've been waiting for this whole time and now I've got it it still feels empty like I've been doing this role for so long and mm-hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you no, but no. that's because the camera needs a new battery <laughs> that's fine and I don't have the new equipment yet and that's the one thing in the pain in the ass still remaining no no that's fine don't worry about it okay so okay. Uh, uh, one thing I want you to to talk to me about and that was what are things that you wish you could talk about this industry that you can't? But why would I answer that? You can give a branch subject. And, so you can agree that there is things <laughs> you do want to talk about that you can't. Repeat the question again. What are things that you wish you could talk about the industry that you can't? I'm not asking you to go into specifics no, 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 because no, I don't fine. want to put your risk with your job at yeah, risk. Yeah, yeah. But you can talk about a shape of a box without describing the box, shall we say? Yeah, so I'd probably say like within the pharma industry in general and like just healthcare in general, I'd probably want to say that, you know, do your own research before, like say for example, you had a certain illness and your doctor gave you a certain treatment. That might be, it might not be the best treatment for you. And that's probably not what you want to hear. I think that's a very diplomatic answer. And I'd 100% back yeah, you up on like it. Yeah, like there's, there might, it might not be the best treatment for you. It might just be that that specific trust is, has that treatment available and it's a cheaper version for them, you know, so they're going to get, because, you know, money does come into it and different trusts do have different budgets and they don't want to give you the higher treatment or they don't want to give you the other one because they don't have enough resources for it. But you as a patient have the right to be like, look, I don't want this treatment. I want this one. They'll be like, okay, we, we don't have it available here, but you can go here to get it. They will have that available for you. So I think what I'd say is, you know, do your research behind it. Um, look at the treatment pathway. So if you go onto the NICE website, so yes, you have the NHS, but so there's something called NICE, which is a National Institute of center of excellence or something like that that's what basically tells clinicians or tells doctors what the treat so when they're like oh okay this patient has this they go on the website and let's say know the guidelines off by heart and they come up with all the guidelines of what you should do based on your symptoms based on your age based on whatever other factors are there to play um and they will also tell you what kind of treatments are available be like this 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 and this and if you don't like one of the treatments and it's not working for you just go tell them that and they'll be like okay and if they're like oh there's no other treatments available to you 
make sure that that's actually the case because it might not be. I totally 100% agree with you. I think we can even take it a step further is that whatever thing you've been diagnosed with, I would recommend getting a second opinion. And that oh. should be... A hundred percent. I think one of the one of the cases that really stuck to me. So I like I said, I worked in breast cancer, and um, I'm not going to let you answer that one no, question no, no, because no. I'm it's worried not, for your no, own. No, 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 no. It's not. So we. So one of the things that we have to do is we do like patient surveys. So mm -hmm. we, you know, all we do is before we even. It's nothing, nothing to do with a drug. We just kind of like we get anonymous patients, and the whole call is anonymized. We don't do the call. We hire another company. They don't know that it's. A company doing the call they don't know who what it's for who it's for or anything and all you do is you talk about your experience as a patient so you talk about when you got diagnosed what your symptoms were like what treatments you had and what you kind of faced with it and um i think i had about five of them i think i attended the first two because it was so heartbreaking to hear them i was like i don't think i can hear this people are fallible yeah so i think Including the first doctors. one the first one that I listened to was about a patient, um, about a woman who had breast cancer and she had been diagnosed when she was first pregnant with her baby. And at first she kind of went in and she was like, you know, breast feels a bit funny, not sure. And the doctor was like, oh no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Because, you know, she was breastfeeding. So they were like, oh, it's probably just milk duct, swollen, whatever. And she kind of knew something wasn't right, but she was like, no, it's fine. By the time they discovered her breast cancer, it was it was like at a very late stage. And then she had another baby and basically every time she thought, okay, no, you know what, it's done, it's done, it's done. It kept coming back. And now I think when we were on the course, she was like, it's stage four and I have two kids and I've you know, struggled with it for 12 years. It's a long time to you know, have it on off. She's like, I've lost my partner over this. I have two young kids, both under the age of like 12. And I just, like, my future is so uncertain. And it's like, she, and it's she really was like, yeah. yeah, and she was like, I kind of wished at the beginning that when I had that first, like, something's not right, I would have gone sooner. Because you always wonder, what if? What if I'd gone to the doctor sooner? What if, you know, they were like, oh, no, you know, it's nothing. And she was like, I kind of knew it was something. What if I pushed that a little bit harder? Would my outlook be any different now? So I think any time that I see someone... And any advice that I'd want to give them is if you have any doubt, there is no harm in checking it out there and then because you don't want to be where that woman was, you know, so many years down the line being like, what if I'd got it checked out? So, you know, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? You don't want that. Just go. It's not going to cost you anything to call up your doctor and just have it looked at. I, it's not. I think that is a perfect place to end it on because that's about as much battery life as we have. <laughs> that's fine. And I think that's the perfect message as well to end it on. I want to say, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. That's okay. I really appreciate it. For it's the fine. people who are listening and, and this is maybe giving them a little bit of doubt, you know, if they're having a little something and they're not sure whether or not this check it out take this as a sign of god that exactly you should right you've check clicked on this leader for some reason and you've heard that message so i really appreciate you thank you so much That's again okay. Happy and to be i here. hope you come for part two and i'm sure i will it yeah. was lovely to be here thank, thank you so you. much done perfect <laughs>